0: Good stuff, good stuff. <laughs> as I told Allison, you've been doing a great job since way back in the summer, yes. giving us these updates and uh, encouraging people to stay uh, plugged in and, and uh, getting things ready. I know these shoeboxes are going to be a blessing to the kids. Good job on the uh, rap video. Yeah. And as I told her in the first service, her uniform also works at Target, not just State Farm. <laughs> so. Uh, you can get a job soon. It's target. You already got the uniform. You're ready to go. But uh, good to see all of you. We had a great time in the 830 service. We're looking forward to uh, God speaking again in this service as well. And I know that he will through his word. And um, just a couple of quick things um, before we get into our study this morning. Tomorrow we start the, um, uh, the painting and the renovation Uh, In the upgrades to the modulars so uh, that will be phase one to get them uh, Washed and and painted with a new bright white coat And we already have the the roof has the UV protectant now and a thick seal on the roof And now uh, the exterior and then after that we'll get the uh, wood trims and the the greenery all around them Uh, That's all coming up in the next couple of weeks So starting tomorrow at least the paint and the walkway will get sanded so they will not be available on Wednesday night uh, For the kids, but that's okay is our monthly prayer night, which we have called a sacred assembly out in the field. So if the weather looks pretty good right now. It's going to be kind of cool, but just wear a jacket and bring a lawn chair. And uh, you saw we had uh, a lot of people here on the property uh, on Wednesday night for the fall festival. So kind of similar to that, but it will be totally different uh, in the sense that it's just uh, focused on prayer and we'll be out in the field. And um, I think it'll be a good time. Now, if it rains, we will be in here. So uh, no worries either way. But uh, bring your kids and uh, you know, it'll be less than an hour uh, together as we just gather, worship and pray together for so many needs, uh, for our country and, and many, many other needs around the world. And uh, with that, uh, we also want to continue to pray uh, for revival. We're also praying uh, in addition to our own country, which we desperately need a revival for the nation of Paraguay today, which is in South America, if you didn't know that, uh, if you're not a geography person. That's where Paraguay is, but we'll be praying for that nation as well, and um, uh, for those of you that are able, again, it's a lot easier in the first service. If you're able to get on your knees, let's take about uh, 40 seconds of silence, and then we'll pray, and then we'll get into God's Word together this morning. Let's pray. father again we quiet our minds we quiet our hearts we bow before you because you're holy because you're worthy because you're mighty because you're our lord you're our savior lord even in this room uh lord we are so grateful uh for your grace and lord we're reminded the apostle paul said he was the chief of sinners and uh lord that um oh, wretched man that he was and lord for us even if we've been saved We ask again this morning for you to wash us, to refresh us, to cleanse us from all iniquity. Lord, we pray that uh, you would give us a hunger and thirst for your righteousness, a zeal for you, a deep longing to walk with you and to know you more. Lord, we pray for your grace and your peace and your love and your faith to flow out of our lives. We pray for the joy of our salvation. Lord, we pray for those that have not come into the gift of salvation lord they're still in darkness whether they're in leadership positions in our country whether they have no position at all friends neighbors family members co-workers lord we pray for those that are still lost and in bondage to themselves and to the gods of this age and lord to darkness we pray that you would turn them to the light we pray for a, a great awakening a revival in the church in the pulpits of america in our nation in our schools and our college campuses Lord, we pray that you turn people from sin and idolatry to the Savior. We pray not only for that in our country, but in the nation of Paraguay, that, uh, Lord, there'd be revival in that nation and awakening there as well. We thank you for the church that's planted there, and we pray that it would grow. We pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters all over the planet. We pray for the nation of Israel. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, Lord, as you've called us to pray, not only in Jerusalem, but throughout the Middle East and around the world, Lord, we pray that you would open the eyes to the world to see your return is getting closer and closer and closer by the day. We ask, Lord, all these things in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for praying with me. If you have your Bibles, we'll, um, be, out, we'll be stepping out of the book of Acts this morning. As I announced uh, last week, uh, a special topical message uh, this morning. And if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, which is the location of, one of the locations, it's also uh, in Mark and Luke as well, but uh, the Olivet Discourse of Jesus, where he speaks and teaches from the Mount of Olives, just a few days before he went to the cross, very important that he thought that we should know these things before he went to the cross, that was... uh, imperative that he share these things with the apostles who were at that time the 12 disciples. But uh, if your Bibles are open there, we're actually going to pick up with the very end of chapter 23, which is not part of the olive Discourse, but it's important to kind of understand the context of what he says or what he kind of speaks over the city just before he gives this teaching that takes place in chapter 24 and chapter 25. So pick it up with me at the end of chapter 23, verse 37. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Remember, Stephen preached basically the same exact message, got him stoned as well. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. God wanted to do a work of restoration in Israel at that time, but they resisted. God wants to do a work of repentance in America right now, but America right now is not willing. See, your house has left you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Chapter 24, then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to show him the buildings of the temple, and Jesus said to them, do you not see all these things? Assuredly I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. So he was saying the temple is going to be destroyed. And of course, that happened in 70 AD. Verse 3, as he sat, now he says now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be? We still ask the same question today. When is this going to happen? Not about the temple, but. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you, the very one who is sitting at the right hand of the Father, the very one who is seated there on the Mount of Olives, speaking these words of prophetic truth to the apostles, and you're still speaking them to us this morning. Lord, we want to not be unwilling, but willing to come to you willing to serve you, willing to worship you. And Lord, we pray that you would speak through your word, that you would use the recent events, what you've said in the scriptures, Lord, to stir us, to draw us, to bring us closer to you. We pray, Lord, you remove every distraction. Speak to those that are watching online, those that are here in this room, out in the fellowship hall. Lord, I ask for your anointing, your help, your strength. I could never do this without your help. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So if you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, What in the World and in Israel is Going On? This message is a response and it's an exhortation to a significant event that recently took place that you've all seen in the news and how it fits or how it might fit with the scriptures and the prophecies that Jesus speaks of here on the Mount of Olives. Three weeks ago from yesterday, I know it seems like ten weeks ago, but it was only three weeks ago from yesterday, on a calm, beautiful day in Israel, as devout Jewish individuals and families throughout the southern, central, and northern regions of Israel were celebrating a very special day it was both a Shabbat, which is the Sabbath, as well as the Feast of Tabernacles, making it a high Shabbat or a high Sabbath, which simultaneously provides both a day of rest, but also it was a joyous celebration of this feast and festival. But on this sunny, beautiful Saturday and Sabbath morning, many non religious Jews were enjoying this weekly day off as well, by the way. Much like millions of Americans do on a Sunday, right now, this Sunday as well, for many Americans, Sunday is not a church day, not a worship day. It's a yard day. It's a late brunch day. It's a read-the-newspaper day. Somebody still has newspapers. Uh, It's a sleep-in day. It's a football day, big football day. It's a weekend away day. You name it, but even for many in this country, it's not a church day. It's not a worship day. Same is true in Israel on the Sabbath. For many people, it's not a religious day. It's just a day off. A smaller percentage of Jewish residents were working, either being non-religious or non-practicing Jews, or they work in essential services like health care, police, military, hospitals, you know. For Israel's non-Jewish residents, which are comprised of a little more than 2 million Arabs that live in Israel and another 500,000 Non Jewish and non Arabs, they could be Asian, Americans living there, Europeans living there. They too were taking advantage of an off day, or maybe they were working, depending on their vocation or their normal routines, because the Jewish Sabbath is celebrated throughout the entire nation of Israel. It's everybody, lots of things shut down, but a few people work, and whether you observe it or not is your choice. But on this quiet, sunny Saturday, a day of rest, a day of planned celebrations for the Feast of Tabernacles, suddenly, out of nowhere, the day was shattered by a surprise and an all-out attack on Israel. Most intensely in the southwest region, near the Gaza Strip, where the ancient Philistines lived. At 6.30 a.m. in the morning. Now remember, Hamas, if you didn't know this, Hamas gathered all of the militants at 5 a.m. They had no idea until that morning they were going to carry out this attack. They found out at 5 in the morning, get dressed, you're going to attack Israel. They didn't know. I mean, the leaders knew. So at 6.30 in the morning, led by the terrorist group Hamas, as well as many non-trained Palestinians who volunteered or they just joined simultaneously that morning when they saw the commotion to assist Hamas. A clandestine attack. How they planned it, we still don't even know. Did they pass paper? Was it only voice conversations? It It stayed off the chatter of international communications. The CIA didn't know about it. Israel didn't know about it. Although Israel knew things like this were planned, they just didn't know this date. But it was an attack unlike any in Israel's modern history. To carry out the attack, Hamas employed rockets, cars, trucks, boats, motorcycles, bicycles, mopeds, paragliders, all to synchronize the intrusions into Israel. Small sections of border walls and fenced areas were breached with explosives. Once they had made the holes in the breach, Israeli military presence in certain spots was overwhelmed and underprepared, which is really kind of shocking. For reasons still unknown, Iran's, uh, uh, Israel's Iron—maybe that's a uh, Freudian slip there. For reasons still unknown, Israel's Iron Dome was also a little less effective that morning. Wasn't ineffective, but less effective that particular day. Hamas fired more than 2,200 rockets. To land indiscriminately anywhere in Israel, they could land. This happened in cities as far north as Tel Aviv, all the way down through Jerusalem and central and southern Israel, but especially in the southwest area closest to Gaza. As the border areas were breached, approximately 2,500 Hamas-led terrorist, militants, and sympathizers that grabbed simple weapons rushed into Israel on foot, using vehicles. What began was a wide-ranging massacre. They began killing anyone on sight, and anyone they encountered was immediately sentenced to death. People were totally caught off guard. Remember, they were there to rest, worship, take the day off. People were completely caught off guard. Some couldn't even perceive in the few, first few minutes that it was actually real. They thought the whole thing was fake. It's like people on 9-11, oh, this can't be happening. But it was all too real. It was vicious and it was violent. Homes, towns, kibbutz, villages, apartments, festivals immediately became death traps. As areas of Israel were terrorized by raids that were reminiscent of medieval times and ancient times. You'd think the Assyrians were coming. The carnage was horrific, historic, and demonic. The Hamas militants were fueled by hate Mm -hmm. and even a bloodlust that they didn't even have until they started killing. Then the bloodlust came out of nowhere, and many of them had taken certain drugs that would actually numb them from any feeling of empathy. All done in advance. Israeli Defense Force spokesman, Rear Admiral uh, Daniel Hagari said of the attack and the terrorists, he said they infiltrated Israel and slaughtered, raped, murdered, burned, and killed babies, women, kids, and elderly people. He goes on to say, whoever they saw, they killed. Foreign language speakers, Muslims, they killed. They committed crimes against humanity and abducted into Gaza babies, kids, women, disabled people, elderly people, unwell people, and they are holding them now in the strip. By the time Israel, they did respond, Israel's Israel as a military was immediately called upon to spring into action, by the time they had repelled the insurgents, 1,400 innocent Israelis had been slaughtered. And as you probably know by now, 32 Americans were killed too. So 32 U.S. citizens just living in there at that time. As the rear admiral stated, Arabs and Muslims were also killed. They made no distinction. They didn't know who they were killing. If you were in their way, you know, unless you somehow, there were a few miracle people that did escape, but But many were killed. They had no distinction of who they were attacking. It was just attack, kill, and even torture, which they did. I can't even talk about some of the things that they did, as many as possible. In the aftermath, we now know that more Jewish people were killed and died that Saturday morning, October 7th, than any single day since the Holocaust of Nazi Germany. More people that day, not any other war in Israel's history, not a single day this is the most Jewish people killed and, I would say, murdered since the Nazi Holocaust in a single day. So to minimize what happened on any level is immoral. And we have some disgraceful members of Congress that won't even condemn Hamas. They should be removed. Yeah, they should be. They should be impeached and removed. I mean, yeah. you cannot, you can, yeah. if you can't condemn terrorist murder, I don't know how in the world you're supposed to speak for the constituents of a free country. Prime Minister Netanyahu immediately declared war. It was the first time Israel had declared war formally since 1973, which was the Yom Kippur War. I was four years old, where Egypt and Syria and other Arab alliance states launched a surprise attack on Israel on the Yom Kippur feast day, just like this was on the Feast of Tabernacles. Both were timed on purpose to maximize the impact, but also to mock God and the Jewish people. It was was basically to be as offensive as possible on a high holy day. By the way, Hamas, who's funded by Iran, that should be a major problem, and our politicians are, fine. well, some are waking up to this. Hamas does not want peace with Israel. Just so you know, I don't care what you watch on the news, they do not want peace with Israel. They want to eliminate Israel. They don't want a two-state solution, They've been offered that numerous times. They have no interest in a two-state solution. And by the way, Palestine has never been a country, ever. To say you're Palestinian is to like say you're Chesterfieldian. (laughs) Right? I live in Chesterfield County. It's a location. It's not an ethnicity. Palestine has never been a country. It was named that by the Emperor Hadrian, He named it that to mock the Jewish people and take away their namesake. So he named it Palestine, which was named after the Philistine, which was their ancient enemies. It's never been a country, ever. He called it the region. Now, you can still be from a region and call yourself, like if you're from New York, you can say you're a New Yorker. New Yorkers come in all Colors, shapes, sizes, although there's a similarity to all New Yorkers. But anyway, that's a different story. But you can say you're a New Yorker, but it's not an ethnicity, it's a region. And Palestine is a region, not an ethnicity. Palestinian people are Arabs from many different tribes. Just like Israel has 12 tribes, Arabs have many tribes. Some are in Saudi Arabia, some are in Egypt, some are in Jordan. Does that make sense? So they're all Arab people, and God loves the Arab people, He loves the Jewish people. But Palestine, I just want to, again, Americans are very misinformed about these things. It's never been a country, nor is it an ethnicity. But Hamas was founded in 1987, the year I graduated high school. Hamas was founded. And it was founded as a terrorist group. The second terrorist group ever founded in the world was Hamas. Founded not as a government, as a terrorist group. Our goal is to kill, maim, and hurt people so that terror is inflicted and we can impact our political will. In 2005, Israel gave the Gaza Strip completely to the Palestinian government and said, run it however you want. Because they they put up the fence, there had been all the bus bombings and everything in the late 90s, and by 2005, they said, you can run... The Gaza Strip, which used to be part of Egypt, but Israel gained that in the war, and Egypt didn't even want it back, by the way, because Egypt was given the Sinai Peninsula back, but they didn't want Gaza back. But Israel said, you can run it however you want. A year after Israel gave the land total control to the Palestinian leadership, in 2006, Hamas gained political power. Full political, It only took them one year to gain full political power after the land had been given... And Israel had no more kind of say in how they ran anything. And then in 2007, guess what Hamas did? Imagine seeing this on our news. They murdered their political rivals. In some cases, they threw them off of buildings. Now, can you see, like, the Republicans won or the Democrats won? Whoever lost, throwing people off of buildings. But you won't hear that in our news. Their charter calls for Israel to be obliterated, completely annihilated back to October 7th, Netanyahu, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu, immediately referred to the attack on Israel on that Sabbath day as Israel's 9-11, which we immediately can understand. We, it resonates with a, what 9-11 means. And it certainly stunned and shook Israel in the same way as America was shaken, but worse because it impacted far more Geographic area and far more people, because the, the the actual bombs were falling all over the country, not just in New York City or the Pentagon, in case the where the planes went in. But worse than that, many people were killed. Almost all 1,400, not all of them, because some were killed by uh, the missiles. But many of the 1,400, in fact, most were killed at point blank range, and they were raped. And they were tortured for hours in some cases, burned alive, paraded on social media, on GoPros, on the, uh, the actual terrorist chest, tele, uh, uh, kind of telecasting it back to people in their own community. And more than 200, including Holocaust survivors, were taken to the Gaza Strip as hostages. I mean, can you imagine living through the Holocaust, you're like late 90s, and you get captured by Hamas. And as a percentage of Israel's population, it was the equivalent of more than 48,000 Americans being killed in one day, because we have 365 million people. They have 9.7 million people, which dwarfs our 2,977 that died on 9-11. Now, granted, that's a percentage of the population. They had 1,400 died, but as a percentage, it would be the equivalent of us having 40. Now, if we had 48,000 people die in our country, you better believe there'd be some action, right? If that's how many would have died if they had, couldn't have cleared out the towers. There's about 50,000 people, 25,000 each tower. If they hadn't cleared out, it would have been close to 50,000 that day. That was the worst fear, if you recall, before they found out that many people had gotten out. In the days after uh, that, in the days after October 7th, which I now refer to, just by my own nomenclature, Israel's 10/7 is what I refer to. We have a 9/11; they have a 10/7. There was an immediate outpouring of support for Israel. That was great to see in the first 24 hours, first 48 hours, first 72 hours. But if you know anything about world history, and if you know how the media works in this world, and you know how people have responded to Israel down through the ages, you knew it wouldn't last. I was watching Joel Rosenberg be interviewed by Pastor Greg Laurie, uh, who produced the Jesus Revolution film, and pastor of uh, Harvest Riverside, Calvary Chapel out west coast. He said, Joel said this, he said, people are sympathetic to Jews when they are dying. In other words, his point was when they start defending themselves, then all the empathy goes out the window. But All right, well, you know, if there was a Holocaust or, you know, but if they defend themselves, all the sympathy, all the empathy is quickly gone. He goes on to say, Joel Joel goes on to say, in a world that doesn't know what men and women are, will they really understand right from wrong? So that's what we're dealing with. People that don't know their right hand from their left hand is exactly what God said about Nineveh. They were in such darkness, and our world is in such darkness, they can't understand basic simple things so will they really understand right from wrong no nation in the history of the world and and many nations of the Kurds different people the gypsy population there's been people that have been uh, harmed in over the years and, and for many wrong reasons but no nation, as far as a sovereign nation, no nation in the history of the world has been hated, has been ostracized, has been attacked, has been slandered as often as Israel, and you can see it in the scriptures and the pages of history. Even at times when they didn't even have land, they still were disliked for no reason other than their ethnicity of being Jewish. But again, even as descendants living outside of the promised land, because for quite a long time, Israel was not in the Promised Land. Most Jewish people for the last couple thousand years haven't been living in the Promised Land. They've been living in Persia. They've been living in Europe. They've been living in Spain. They've been living in the Iberian Peninsula, Africa, all over, but not necessarily, I mean, some were, but most were not. Ever since the northern kingdom was taken by the Assyrians and the Babylonians took, there's been a dispersion, and then it happened again under the Roman Empire. But even outside of the promised land, even not even having a nation, the Jewish people have still been hunted and hated. Adolf Hitler, obviously the worst example of this, and some of you were still alive when Adolf Hitler, or were alive, when Adolf Hitler was actually trying to exterminate the Jewish people for no other reason than being Jewish. No other reason. So it's sad and it's sickening, but it's not surprising to see anti-Semitism raise its head very quickly within days of the initial empathy that Israel received, and especially if they're going to defend themselves. And Hamas plays every trick in the book, put the rockets on hospitals and use their own citizens as a human shield. Don't even let them go to safe places. But the anti-Semitism, it's gotten bad quickly. I mean, you've got Star Davids have been painted on people's homes in Berlin. You've got restaurants in Turkey say no Jews allowed. You had businesses attacked in Spain. You had 89 incidents in four days in England alone. But let me remind you, and this is a great protection for our wayward country, and I love our country, but it's a wayward country. In fact, the matter is all the countries right now are wayward, right? That's why Jesus is uh, speaking to all the nations. But, but a great protection for our country, one of the very few protections we have left, because we don't have many, by the grace of God, is that we have stood with Israel. One of the few protections we have left. And I remember I was, 20 years ago, I had a work colleague tell me, why don't we just stop supporting Israel and our life in be easier. I said, oh, you don't know what you're asking for. Right, right. I had a lot of witness opportunities when I was in corporate America. I'm like, that, that seems like a bright idea, but it's a really bad idea. God promised Abraham in Genesis 12, 3, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who who curses you, him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Notice the blessing. Now we know the blessing is um, for the nation that would come from Abraham, and the nation that would come from Abraham would be from his grandson's name, Jacob, turned to Israel. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. His grandson would be called Israel, hence the nation would become Israel. The twelve tribes would come from Jacob. So the blessing was for the nation that would come from Abraham, but notice that also that all the families of the earth would be blessed. In this room, now first of all, we have in this church, we have Arab believers that attend this church, we have Jewish believers that attend this church, and we have a whole hodgepodge of Gentiles (laughs) that are not Arab, and they're not Jewish, but they're... uh, Raise your hand if you grew up natively speaking in a language other than English. Just raise your hand if you grew up speaking. In a, look at all the hands over here. You guys are not this side, but anyway, this side. <laughs> lots of people on this side grew up speaking another language. Why do I have you do it? Because you're of the families of the earth. Amen. You're, you're proof of this verse. The fact that we have this many people with different skin tones. Some of you are originally from the your ancestors are from the continent of Africa. Some of your ancestors are from Southeast Asia. Some of your ancestors are from the Middle East. Some of your ancestors are your Native American, your Native American from South America, Central America, or Mexico. That is your lineage. I am a mutt from somewhere in Europe. I <laughs> a mixed bag. But we are the families of the earth. Does this yes, make sense? Yes, yes, yes. So he's saying, because of Israel, I'll bless the nations through Jesus. Amen. God was going to bless all the families. Of the earth through Israel, which is to be a light to the Gentiles, not a war at war with the Gentiles, a light to the Gentiles. But the Messiah was going to come through Israel. And indeed, God does not love the Jewish people more than the Arab people, nor does He love the Arab people more than the Jewish people. He loves all people. But they still have to come to him with repentance. Everyone does. Whether you're Jew- that he- Jesus was pretty direct with his own Jewish brethren. How I long to gather you, but you're not willing. You're going to be left desolate. Remember, he was speaking to his own people. But he says the same to the nation. Now, again, I'm not Jewish, but the Lord loved me enough to save me. Israel has a purpose. I'm not jealous of Israel's purpose. Are you? <laughs> Billy Graham had a purpose. I'm not jealous. At- oh, Billy Graham had more people saved. than. I'm not jealous of that. Israel has a plan and a purpose. There's no reason to be jealous for it. You say, Lord, do what you planned. Now, we know that uh, Jesus is the primary reason that God raised up Israel. But his love for the world includes the plan of salvation, which is through himself, which he's going to be coming through, through Israel. But he also, for reasons that we don't even fully understand, God still has A covenant that he gave to Abraham that still has to be completed, and much of it will not be completed until the millennium reign of Christ. So there's more of this covenant. God will keep the covenant because of his own name. Does that make sense? Because of his own name, he's going to keep the covenant plan with Israel, but he also has this plan of salvation that includes both Jew and Gentile through Jesus. And neither Satan nor this world can stop the plan of salvation or the covenant plan for Israel. Amen? Amen. Satan cannot stop it. He's been trying to stop it, but he can't stop it what God has ordained. So with all that's recently taken place, where does it all fit? What does it tell us? What what does this inform us relative to what Jesus was speaking of here on the Mount of Olives? Well, the Bible is, of course, I think most of you would agree with me, unless you're here visiting and you say, I've never heard a single word from the Bible. Most of you would agree, if not all of you. The Bible is inspired. It is God-breathed. It is the prophetic word of God. It's not like any other book that's ever been written. Nostradamus was wrong a lot. <laughs> the Bible's never been wrong once. Anything that hasn't happened just will happen. Amen. And it was written by men, but it was given to men by the Holy Spirit. So they wrote down what God told them to write, and God is never wrong. And if we know the Scriptures, we can have a clear understanding of what is happening Not an end-to-end knowledge of every detail. I don't have it, nor do you, nor do some of the most godly people on earth. None of us have an end-to-end knowledge of every detail. But we can see the big picture. Does that make sense? We can see the big picture. Jesus made it pretty clear. I think I'll show it to you in the text where Jesus said, you're going to be able to see the big picture. The question is, what will you do with it once you see the big picture? And as it relates to the future, we can know and understand what's going to happen, but not when it will happen. Not to the detail, right? We're not going to know exactly when it's going to happen. Like, I know someday I'm going to pass from this life to the next. I don't know when, but I know for certain that's going to happen. How about you, right? I don't know when. I'm not trying to plan that date either. I'm just trying to say, Lord, I want to live for you until that time comes. And when the world events, and especially something as pivotal as what recently took place, the Lord compels me to say, thus says the Lord. That's what I'm doing this morning. In the few minutes that I have left, and let me see what I have left, for your sake and mine, all right. Uh, in the few minutes I have left, uh, I, I laid out the shock waves that went out from Israel three weeks ago yesterday. And they're still reverberating, and they're still dominating the news, and they're still dominating people processing it that don't quite know uh, all the facts. And even if they do, uh, they have a predisp- predisposition to how they're going to land anyway. But all the things that are reverberating... Those shockwaves that went out three weeks ago are still with us. But what Jesus said 2,000 years ago still echoes to anyone that's willing to listen. And I want to look at four brief observations because I don't have a lot of time, but I want to look at four brief observations from the Olivet Discourse and as it relates to not just the events that took place uh, three weeks ago yesterday, but other things that are going on in our world, because not just in Israel but around the world and, and the, the four things that we'll look at and they're all related uh, to what Jesus said there from the Mount of Olives what we know from the past, what we know or what we see in the present right now where we're living what we observe in prophecy and what we wait for in power. So if you're a note taker you can jot those down. What we know from the past. What I mean by that? Well what what took place in Israel's past, what took place going back to when Jesus was sitting there on the Mount of Olives 2,000 years ago, and some of the things that have taken place in the past that are the last couple thousand years or even, even well before that. How does, the, how does the past fit into the present and the future? And by the way, these four areas are not uh, exclusive to one another, they're all interrelated. Matter of fact, all of it's prophetic but we're just looking at it in four different ways. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, where Abraham is given this promise, so I'm talking about the past, go way back to Abraham. He didn't know he was Jewish. He wasn't born Jewish. He was born a Chaldean. God says, you are going to become a new nation, a new people. So go all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis, we see the creation of the nation of Israel, through Abraham and through the patriarchs. Stephen stood up and talked about this in his message. Remember, he takes you from Abraham to Jesus. We saw the rescue and exodus of Israel. If God doesn't rescue Israel, it never survives the 400 years in Egypt. They would have been destroyed there. So we see the rescue and exodus of the nation of Israel. Then we see that, and I'm skipping a lot of things, but the Messiah sent from heaven is born in Israel and sent to Israel. Notice Israel is very central to all of this. Jesus goes on to what? Live in Israel, preach and teach in Israel, travel all over Israel, crucified in Israel, raised to life in Israel, returned back to heaven from the Mount of Olives in Israel, and he has since placed Israel back in the land of Israel. And that's just us looking back in the past, because that happened in 1948, by the way, where Israel was put back in the land. But an objective look at the past, you can see that Israel is very central to the redemptive plan and will of God. Very central. Jesus is going to come to the tribe of Judah. Very, very central. And not just central for the world, but Israel herself. I mean, she she has to see her place in God's plan. So these verses that I read from verse 37, I don't, I don't have time to reread them, where Jesus weeps over Jerusalem, and then uh, he's facing uh, the temple. The apostles or the disciples at that time were just amazed at because it was one of the wonders of the ancient world. They're saying, "Look at the temple and Jesus is saying, uh, that magnificent structure, not one stone's going to be left on top of the other. The very end of Matthew 23, Jesus, weeping over Jerusalem, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, and the start of the 24th chapter, Jesus sitting on the Mount of Olives will look straight west back at the city of Jerusalem. Uh, This is a big clue, an unmistakable clue, that Israel, meaning that Jesus is weeping over the city, looking at the city, teaching and preaching about the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, it's a big clue that Israel has been for, a thousand, uh, for thousands of years and remains key to the unfolding plan of God. Can we agree with that? Yeah. It's key. It's not the only key, but it's very key. It's not Again, it's not the only key, but it's a very key point to the unfolding plan of God. There have been long periods of Israel's history where Israel was not the focus of the world. There have been times when the Mongolians were the focus, or you know, the Roman Empire was the focus, or uh, the Persians were the focus. So just different things. Now Israel has interwoven connections with almost everyone I just mentioned there. Not, well, to some extent, even the Mongolians. They came all the way through the, the Middle East as well. But, but there's been long time, long periods of time where Israel has not been the focus of the world's attention. But because of what God planned in the past, uh, Israel has an eternal future, and so the world's attention will and invariably always come back to Israel. It doesn't make any sense. Israel is the size of New Jersey. If you're from New Jersey, we love you. But the, um, the world's attention doesn't keep coming back to New Jersey. It keeps coming back to Israel. It, it doesn't keep coming back to Delaware. Well, while the guys are or, or presidents of the White House, maybe. But, but it doesn't keep coming back to Delaware or New Jersey or some other small piece of land. But the world's attention always comes back to Israel again and again and again. And again, it's like a boomerang, but it just keeps coming back to Israel. In the early days of the pandemic, remember that March of 2020—I'll never forget it. Uh, it was about in April, maybe a month into the pandemic. I did a prophecy update, and of course, I did it on Zoom because everybody was at home, spraying all their groceries and um, you know, uh, ordering from Amazon, and um, you know, everybody had no idea if the, if the world was going to come to an end and all these things and. Uh, and and it, we all had anxiousness about it. I did too. And you know, wonder, am I going to be on a uh, ventilator? And is, is everyone going to die? Or is a third of the population? You, all the things that went into our head. Uh, but I did some prophecy updates uh, on these Zoom updates. And so some of you dialed in. And, and I said then, and I said it based on scriptural fact. I didn't feel like things were going to change. But I knew what the scripture said. So I told everybody that was on the call. I said, look, believe it or not. All this will settle down. Yeah, some people will pass away from COVID because people pass away from all kinds of things. I'm not minimizing it. It was real. I have knew people that died from it. I'm not minimizing it. It wasn't legitimately, I think it was manipulated, but that's a different story altogether. But I said, eventually, believe it or not, those of you on the call, the attention will move off of Dr. Fauci. The attention will move off the World Health Organization. The attention will move off of masks and vaccines and Pfizer and all these other kind of things. And Israel will again be front and center. You won't believe it today because it doesn't even seem like, well, Israel's dealing with the same thing that everybody else is. But I said, believe it or not, Israel will come back into full focus. So this all has to pass because they're more central than the pandemic is. Even though the pandemic is part of the signs. Speaking of which what we see in the present. So turn, uh, turn your attention to verse 4, starting verse 4. And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet, for nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, pestilences, which is disease, And earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginnings of sorrows. So we looked at what we know from the past, what we see in the present. Well, we see virtually everything that Jesus said in that list happening right now, even all at once. Just this year, you might think that the Turkey earthquake felt like it was like three years ago, but it was in February. 59,000 people have died from that earthquake that was in February. Uh, Our our good friend John Samara, who is Syrian, who is Arabic and speaks Arabic and has ministered there, has been a great friend in keeping me updated on what's going on there. 59,000 people died there. We had the uh, earthquake in Morocco and North Africa in September. Uh, A couple thousand people passed away there. Afghanistan, the same day Israel was being attacked by Hamas, is the same day Afghanistan, the same 1,400 people died in Afghanistan as died in Israel. But one was from earthquakes and one was from murder. Now we're, as a world, uh, as an, uh, all the nations, we're all coming out of this three-year global pandemic, which is a pestilence, which, which did kill many people, especially people that were elderly with underlying uh, health conditions and things of that nature. Uh, before the pandemic even ended, Russia attacked Ukraine. And you can look at all the political reasons why that took place, but the fact of the matter is, Europe is experiencing its most intense war since World War II right now. China, in the middle of all this, has continued to practice and escalate military offensive maneuvers all around Taiwan, increasing them on a regular basis. North Korea, they've been threatening nuclear uh, uh, attacks on our country for a couple of years. I actually don't think it's all just rhetoric. I believe they have real plans, and you may not, but I do. I believe they have real plans, and I would not be surprised if in our lifetime they detonate one on a specific target or they take out a U.S. aircraft carrier, or they do something. I don't hope that that happens, but uh, uh, I don't think that they're creating them just for no reason. I also believe that North Korea is used as a front by China to actually test the waters on many, many different things. But that being uh, neither here nor there, uh, all these things are happening. The wars, the rumors of wars, the threat of nuclear retaliation... Uh, then you have Jesus talked about the many false Christ, and, the, and we look at the false religions in this world. There are exponentially more people following a false Jesus in 2023 than any time in human history, uh, whether they're in the Church of Latter-day Saints, or they're um, you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, or they're in different cults, or you name it, uh, not to mention just the uh, apostasy in the church itself. Uh, more now than even 100, 200 years ago, as far as numerical number, it's not even close, Famine and hunger has always been a problem in the world and it remains a problem. Uh, the UN reports 300, uh, 345 million people right now do not know where their next meal is coming from. 345 million people, almost the same as the population of the U S that's 200 million more than at the start of the pandemic. So the pandemic has almost tripled the number of people that are starving around the world. Uh, you have ethnic strife, you have political strife. We see it here. We see it worldwide. Uh, one of the Twitter accounts I follow, it's not a Christian one, it's just they keep up with what's going on. Uh, it's actually a business think tank um, uh, that I just noted, put up on the screen, that they just have a list of all the things that have taken place just since July. And, and these are unsaved people saying, this is their observations, we're living in like literal living history every single day, like historic things are happening. Unprecedented things, constantly Uh, they were saying since 2020. I I always say since the year 2000. And then, of course, 9-11 was quite the watermark as well. But as we get closer and closer to the return of Jesus, something that I've brought this verse up before, uh, and it dovetails with other things in the New Testament, Daniel 12-4, seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Not only is knowledge increasing, technology increasing, data increasing, Weapons effectiveness is increasing, space travel is increasing, you name it. Everything's increasing. That's why the speed of the news comes at you faster than you can breathe. And Satan is turning up. It's like you turn your ga- I have a gas uh, stove. You can turn up full blast, and when you turn up full blast, water boils a lot faster. And what he, si- he knows his time is short, so everything is accelerating. It's like you're on a treadmill, and you can't keep up with the speed of it all. And the world will unravel at this speed eventually. But in the middle of all this, why does Israel always rise back to the top of the news? No matter how, I mean, I mean at the same time that Acapulco was we had a tropical storm that went from tropical storm to category 5 hurricane in the fastest time I think they had ever seen, it was like 12 hours or something, it went from Tropical storm, no one had time to prepare. Acapulco, which is a great vacation destination, uh, was obliterated, and it hardly made the news because it was too far down in importance. Whereas normally that would have been the front page story. But it just, it couldn't even, if by like page four, if you want to look at a newspaper analogy. Now let's look at number three here, what we observe in prophecy. All scripture is the prophetic word of God. So uh, prophecy in one sense, Genesis to Revelation. Uh, it's all prophetic because the word prophecy means message from God. So the whole Bible is a message from God. So in a larger sense, all the Bible is prophetic because all of it is a message from God sent to the world. But as it relates to the future, we understand that future events, prophetic events, passages that have yet to be fulfilled, we call them Bible prophecy. And so uh, it can refer to things in the past too, but uh, we're talking about future Bible prophecy God is telling us, through his son Jesus on the Mount of Olives, things yet to come. When he was talking then, none of these things, the temple was still sitting there, right? So that was prophetic. It was in the future. Now we're looking at it in the past because it happened in AD 70 when Titus overran Jerusalem and then dispersed the Jewish people. But as Jesus made it clear, there were things that could be observed and should be observed if we're paying attention, and God wants us paying attention, And we know the prophecies that God has given. Jesus even said back in Matthew 16, 3, it's up on the screen, he said, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And he was speaking of the fact that when he came the first time, he was telling his hearers, especially the religious leaders and scribes, there was more than enough evidence in his telling them that they should have known that he really was the Messiah. He will come back a second time and anyone from the church will say, I didn't see any signs of your return. That's why I didn't. He's like, you should have seen more than enough signs that I was returning. He's saying the same thing now, as he said, then there was plenty of signs for the first coming. There's plenty of signs for the second coming. So that was true in the first. It's true in his approaching return. But Jesus said that in addition to the world being ripe for great deception, he said, let let no one deceive you. Do you think we live in a world that's right for deception right now? When, when I was a kid and Close Encounters of the Third Kind was a movie in the 70s, I did not know the Pentagon would actually promote it in 2023 <laughs> right. Right. as reasons for why things are happening. And one of the, one of the things that cracks, I tell my wife, I said, People cannot think through that. I'm like, you're going to tell me. A spaceship can navigate space but doesn't know how to fly in puny earth. It keeps crashing here, but it can make it through all the universe. When it gets here, all of a sudden it learns, it forgets how to ride a bike. Um, Because it's all deception. The whole thing is deception. People will believe anything as long as it's not from the Bible. Anything as long as it's not from the Bible we're living in a time of deception our political leaders use deception countries are using deception all of these things around us i don't have time to get into all of it but you see it but jesus said in a world that's ripe for great deception and a world that's full of wars and rumors of wars and natural disasters all the things that are going around he said in all that he said watch israel <laughs> interesting huh why do we watch that? Why would New York's a bigger deal than Jerusalem? And London's a bigger deal. You know why? Why would you watch Hong Kong, the markets? But he said, "Watch Israel. Israel is the fig tree." Uh, turn your attention to the same Olivet discourse, uh, starting verse twenty-four. And I'm having to hopscotch just this morning. Um, uh, verse thirty-two. Sorry, uh, chapter twenty-four, starting verse thirty-two. Jesus still speaking. It's all him speaking. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branches are to become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Surely I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Jesus said, you, might not mean, you may never read the local news, but you better read what I said, because my words are not going to pass away. But Israel's the fig tree, brother and sister. Israel is the fig tree that he's talking about here. We covered this text two weeks ago in our Joel study. But in Joel chapter 1, uh, verse 7, God was speaking of the judgment he had allowed to come to Israel, which was the uh, plague of the locust there in chapter 1. But he says in uh, Joel 1, 7, it's up on the screen, he has laid waste to my vine and ruined my fig tree. They stripped it bare and thrown away its branches and made it white. Um, Israel is both the fig tree and and the olive tree. Both those analogies are used by God to describe Israel as his nation. So if you see fig tree, olive tree, they're both representations of Israel. Not in every single case. Every, every time you see fig tree, it doesn't mean it. But in cases like this, Jesus is saying the fig tree. He's speaking here of Israel. Um, Israel, we know, was replanted in 1948. Uh, this came on the heels 31 years after the Balfour Declaration, where uh, it was it was. You know, the British Parliament basically declared that they would like to see Israel, or, or the Jewish people, have a homeland. And they, they declared this in the middle of World War I, and it didn't happen until 1948, but they had declared they would like to see Israel have a homeland, or the Jewish people have a homeland, in the native land that was given to them by God back in the time of Abraham. But it took the pain of the Nazi Holocaust for the world to have enough empathy in the United Nations to agree that yes, after losing seven million people to Nazi Germany, now would probably be an appropriate time to put uh, the Jewish people back in the land that was given to them. So they were replanted in the nation in the land in 1948 when Israel took over and became a sovereign and re-became. And they, uh, God had put them back in the land. And once God puts them back, they'll never be removed, by the way. Uh, So they are back there for good now. But the land was barren. It was mostly desert and patches of swamp. You could buy it nickels on the dollar if you wanted it, but no one wanted it. Uh, When Mark Twain visited Israel in 1867, Mark Twain, the famous author, uh, he visited and traveled all over the country. And this is what he wrote about what he saw in 1867. He said, desolate country, whose soil is rich enough, but it is given over wholly." to weeds, a silent mournful expanse. We never saw a human being on the entire route. There was hardly a tree or a shrub anywhere, even the olive and cactus, those fast friends of a worthless soil, had almost deserted the country. Mark Twain had a way with writing, right? So he, he descriptively says, look, I didn't see people, I, everything was dead, who would want this wasteland? That was his, that was his kind of assessment of the land. But by 1950, two years after Israel had become a nation, by 1950, there was now 1.37 million people who had already come back in the land. 1.37 million. Uh, the Holocaust alone made many people hu- hunger for something deeper, even if they didn't know why they needed to get back to the land. Today, there's 9.72 million people. That's quite the increase from 1.73 in 1950 to 9.72 million people. Today, Israel has flourished. It has been irrigated. It has been tilled. It has been plowed. It has been rebuilt town by town, village by village, city by city. There are indeed many leaves on the fig tree. Would you not agree? Yes. They're not met in people, in the 9.73 million people, but as well as the fruitfulness of the land, it's um, very significant how Israel is flourishing. It's, it's the breadbasket of the Middle East. It sends tons of fruits and vegetables and flowers to Europe and all over the world but the season Jesus mentioned here, significant. did you notice he said, and it, when it puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now he said this well before 1948, Israel didn't even get back into the land until 1948. He said, when it starts to have leaves, and Israel has a lot of leaves now, he said, summer is near. The season is significant. Prophetically, I've talked about this before in past prophecy teachings, prophetically, Each of the seven feasts that were given to Moses under the law, each of the seven feasts were a foreshadow. All seven of them were a foreshadow, just like Moses was a foreshadow, and Joseph was a foreshadow, and David was a foreshadow. The feasts themselves were all foreshadows to some aspect of Christ as the Messiah or the ministry of the Messiah. Does this make sense? They're all related to Jesus, Yeshua, the Messiah, in his unique position as Savior, as High Priest, as shepherd, king, and many other titles that he wears. But all four of the spring feast, and I put them up on the screen, there's the seven required feasts that Israel was required to continue to observe until God became their king. And obviously, Jesus someday is going to sit and rule the reign. These are the seven. Now, four have already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Four have already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus. Where you see an asterisk, those were the three times that all the males from Jerusalem had to come to Jerusalem. All the males from in Israel had to come to Jerusalem three times, of the seven. But all seven are important. But four of them took place in the earthly ministry of Jesus, or just after the fourth one, Pentecost. He is already seated at the right hand of the Father, but He poured out the Spirit. Shavat, Feast of Weeks, that was the fourth one fulfilled, and that one He fulfilled sitting on the right hand of His Father. But the other three are still to be fulfilled. If you were here with us last fall, my good friend Sam, Dr. Sam Nadler preached on the feast of trumpets. That trumpet is going to sound from heaven, and only believers will hear that trumpet because we will be gathered to meet him in the air. That is where Jesus is going to gather his church. Then you have the Day of Atonement, which is where Israel will endure the time of Jacob's trouble, and they'll see that Christ was their atonement, but they missed him the first time, which is what Stephen was preaching of, Right? You know the Bible's related everywhere, right? <laughs> Stephen was on to this, and so we are understanding these things. And then the last is the tabernacles, which is where Hamas attacked on the Feast of Tabernacles, is where God will come down and tabernacle in the person of Jesus Christ in Jerusalem for a 1,000 years. Make sense? So three remain, four are past. But he says in between is summer. Guess what? There's no feast in the summer. We have a long gap from temple being destroyed to 1948. You have fall, I mean you have spring. Spring's past. Fall remains. I believe we've been in a summer period. I believe we're already in the summer. Now, I don't know exactly where it all fits. There's no summer feast. We know that. The question is, um, you know, Where is Israel right now? Where is the fig tree related to the timeline? Because Jesus said summer is in key here. He said, you'll know that summer is near, and there's no feast in the summer. The the, the next three feasts come after the summer. Are we near summer? Are we in summer? Are we in late summer? That's my question. You know, from my understanding of where the feasts fit, where the summer fits, where the fall feasts fit, uh, and we know where the fig tree speaks of Israel, uh, none of us can say for certain, but we know that there are other signs, and most of the other signs also relate to Israel. So uh, as we looked at, we see the signs in the earth uh, that are related to the false religions, related to the apostasy of this age, the strife and wars. We see the rise in disease and health. Uh, That's why we have a hospital almost every corner now, and if we don't have one, we get a brand-new health care, a little inpatient, outpatient. We can't stop. We have more medicine, and we can't stop disease. You know, diseases are actually rising in the midst of all these other medicines that we have. You say, well, that should slow it all down. No, it's not. Everything's accelerating. We have earthquakes in various places I mentioned. uh, But everything, uh, even if you go back to the year 2000, Y2K, or 9-11, even since then, we had two 9.0 tsunamis, uh, one in Sendai, Japan, one in Indonesia. They were two of the biggest earthquakes the world has ever... They both tilted the earth's axis and actually caused the whole earth to shake to some degree... Uh, All those kind of things, even World War II is current when you look at the the Earth, I mean, you look at the timeline of the world in a 6,000-year timeline. Those are a tiny little sliver. So we think of them as, oh, that was years ago, but not in the history of 6,000 years. They're very, very right present, uh, much less yesterday's news or three weeks ago's news. Now, as I kind of bring this to a close, um, I was talking to my wife about this, and I was sharing with someone after the first service as well. Uh, we very well, may, and this is actually, could be a blessing on one hand, but it's a strong warning at the exact same time. We could see, in our lifetime, if Jesus said this generation will not pass away until these things have passed, the question is, an 80-year generation? Is it a 100-year generation? Is it 120, because Moses lived to be 120 years? Uh, what is the generation? Israel becomes a country in 1948. If you go 100 years after that, that would put us to 2048. Um, you, know, you could go 20 years, if 120 years of the generation. And and again, God doesn't tell the exact what he means of these things. He says you'll know the signs, not the exact time or specificity of things, but you'll know the seasons. And um, we very well could see a cool down, which could fool some believers into just kind of kicking back and, well, I don't really need to live for Jesus because there's going to be a cool down. um, We might see a final revival. We might see... America have a time of revival and we might see some of our politicians repent that would be great I, I, I don't just pray it to pray it I'd really like to see it I have three daughters that have be married I'd love to see them have grandkids uh, me have grandkids someday I, I would enjoy some of those things before Jesus comes back but I also know we're to hasten his return Where there's a blessing for those who are hastening the return of the Lord so we could see a spiritual awakening we could see a reprieve and even a little period of peace um, just a little observation. Joseph was a foreshadow, and he was given two dreams. One was seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of disaster and famine. We could see before the tribulation, there could be seven really good years on the earth where everything's kind of hunky-dory. So how is that possible, and how does it all fit in? I'll show you in just a second. Uh, it's very possible that that could happen. Um, I'll give you a, I'll give an analogy that works in Richmond you could think wow falls here and then summer temps break out out of nowhere and you get all your shorts back out and two days later it's 32 degrees again i believe something like that could happen on the world stage that could lull people say i thought it was the end we could see a reprieve eventually the very nations that are in the news right now russia iran turkey they're going to surround and come against israel ezekiel chapter 38 they're going to attack Israel and it's going to shock the world it wouldn't shock the world right now so it has to be a little bit later than right now because it's going to be shocking when it happens Uh, the church could be taken up to meet Jesus just before that war during that war or after that war so that really clears it up for you right so um, (laughs) but everything is moving towards the coming day of the Lord what is that it's when God is going to judge the world and he's going to set up his kingdom Everything is moving towards him judging the world and setting up his kingdom. Uh, so there may be a short peace and law. Look up on the screen, and I've got to bring this to a close. Um, in Ezekiel 38, we know that Israel will be attacked when they're in safety and dwelling without walls. That can't be right now. They're on high alert. Actually, all the walls are still up. Those things have to come down. I actually think Israel will end up rooting out Hamas. I believe that they'll solve a lot of their current problems. Uh, it's going to take them some time. I believe they'll probably create technologies just for this war. They're going to need it for the tunnels alone. They're going to need robotics. They're going to need things that can actually probe down there. And they have... I used to work for a company that we did a lot of our R&D in, in Israel, so I know that they can they can design things just for this war alone. And they will. Uh, give it some time. They will ignore the world's anti-Semitism. They're going to press forward. And I believe they'll probably solve some of this to a major extent. And there will be some peace come out. This is just my... Uh, again, I'm not speaking... Definitively. On that. I'm saying, when I look at these passages and I look at the warnings from Jesus, because Jesus says, as it was in the days of Noah, they had no thought that a flood could actually come. They actually were still getting married. Everybody was living it up. Uh, people's businesses were doing good. Uh, they had growing dot coms, to use our kind of, you know, whatever uh, vernacular. Um, but Jesus said, in the middle of all that, watch because your Lord is still coming, because I actually believe there could be a time that could lull the church back to sleep. And then lastly, uh, Paul seems to say the same thing. He said, The day of the Lord is going to come so fast, it'll be like a thief in the night. People won't even expect it. Uh, so I believe that there could be some law coming because he says they'll say peace and safety. And then sudden destruction comes. Be, there seems to be, my study of prophecy, and I've been studying for 20 some years, a little bit of a reprieve. And I don't know what it will look like. I just look at it like our last three days. It was cruising along at 40 in the morning. Thirty-eight one morning, and all of a sudden it was 82, three straight days. Like, summer's back. <laughs> but Tuesday it's going to be 54 again. Yeah. We live in a place that shows you how quick you can, like, be lulled to sleep and then straight back. And I believe that this will happen. So Jesus was trying to get the church to realize that if it's really bad, be ready. If it's looking good, be ready. That was the point he was trying to make. And so the last thing, just real quickly, um, and I will close it, and I'll have you stand in prayer. Look with me real quick at Matthew chapter 25. I jammed in, I don't know, 4,500 years of history in the last couple of minutes here. Uh, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to Jesus, is speaking directly to those that, that, that believe themselves to be believers. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins, took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. Those who were foolish uh, took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took their oil and their vessels with their vessels and their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all um, was delayed. They all slumbered and slept. Uh, he goes on in verse thirteen, says, "Watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor hour in which the Son of Man is coming." Now Jesus, he tells, all these signs will be happening, which I've been watching them since I got saved in 1995. I see them all. I was not surprised when 9/11 came. I I know the things will happen. I believe that we could actually have a U.S. city incinerated and people would recover from it within a couple of years and move on with life, no problem. He said, I, I, I don't think I could. Yes, they will. Trust me, we have an amazing ability to forget bad things and only focus on. It's why you football fans, you're able to follow for years. You forget all the misery and you stay with them. You know? And we have this innate ability to do that. And Jesus is saying, because there'll be a little delay, It'll look like everything's going to come to an end. All of a sudden, there's a little delay. He says, some of them say, I don't need the lamp. Oil. And I believe that many Christians and many people that are in the church are really at danger if there is any kind of reprieve. If things kind of return to normalcy or even get a little better for a period of time than they currently are, they'll say, huh, it's going to be, it's going to be another 100 years. And Jesus like, you fool, I'm coming back now. So all that said, keep your eyes on Israel. Keep your eyes on your own. Walk with Jesus and keep your eyes on the Lord. Amen? Why don't you stand as we close in prayer. And we have no time for a closing worship song again. So, um, but thank you for being patient. Uh, I worked all week on how do I fit all this in, Lord? But I really believe that in the times we live in, I want us to see things from God's perspective. Amen? And I hope that you're watching Israel He doesn't love Israel more than the other people. But you understand they have a role. And you and I have a role to be lights and witnesses. We have a role to actually have the oil of the Holy Spirit flowing. And some of that, was that about unsaved people? Or is that about people that will be left behind? I don't know. I just know I want to be in the five that have the oil. Amen? And that's pretty easy. Just abide in Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm going to abide in you, and you abide in me, and I will bear much fruit. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you again for the truth of your word. Uh, Lord, we thank you that your word is, um, Lord, it's just a clear path in so much turmoil and so much hatred and so much bloodshed and so much deception. And Lord, we pray that if if there is a rapid acceleration, I don't know, Lord, I could be misreading, if there is a, a little bit of a reprieve at some point that we're not lulled to sleep, that we stay awake. That we stay watching. You said to stay watching. That two would be walking and one would be taken. So there's an element of surprise, Lord, when you return. Or people wouldn't be that shocked. So, Lord, we pray that we would be those that are keeping our eyes fixed upon you. Growing in our love for you. Lord, if we're not giving you our best and surrendering ourselves. Even this morning, uh, each person here would fully surrender themselves. Because the time really is short. The day is getting closer. It's even, as you said, at the door. And, Lord, we don't know where we're at. Beginning of summer, middle of summer, end of summer. Uh, Lord, we just know that uh, three remain, and they're getting closer by the day. And Lord, just help us to be watching and ready. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord, make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his counts upon you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.